so let's talk about Peter. We're in First Peter today, First Peter 1, 3 through 9. Just ignore the crying children in the background. The We began last week, of course, or not last week, yesterday, looking at the introduction. Oh, Greg says he can hear me. Good. YouTube, you're lying to me. Anyway, uh, so last week or yesterday, we looked at First Peter, the introduction, the themes of First Peter. Of course, he's going to talk about the suffering of the Christian. He's going to talk about holy living. He's going to talk about the separation, uh, not belonging to the world, and how does what does that mean for us? So we're just going to dive in uh, to First Peter three, First Peter or not First Peter three, First Peter one, three through five. Let's go ahead and read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, uh, again, one of the reasons I chose Peter, and and this was intentional, it usually isn't intentional, uh, to go to dovetail with the sermon from Sunday, the blessings of heaven, as we look in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, we see a number of, again, these sort of promises or these blessings that we're looking forward to in heaven. Now, there's a couple of phrases I want to point out here as uh, that are particularly relevant for our context uh, as we think about the text in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, Right? This is a thing that is undeserved, a thing that we did not earn or, or merit, a thing that we didn't work for. Right, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This idea of a living hope. It is a hope that continues. It's a hope that persists, a hope that endures. Right, It's a hope that can't be taken away. And he's going to get into a lot of the conflict between the world and the Christian and as Paul reminded us in Romans chapter 8, there's nothing that can kill this hope, right? It is a living hope to an inheritance that is imperishable. Now, this word is a particularly interested, interesting word, undecaying, incorruptible, immortal. This is, again, something that cannot decay or die or fade or be destroyed, right? This inheritance that we have, this thing that we're looking forward to, is not something that can be destroyed. It's not something that can be, def uh, it, it, and uh, to, put, to use a term that might be applicable now, it can't be diseased. It won't be diseased. It's, it is going to be perfect and in its current form, it's going to be that way forever. Undefiled, that is, it's not spoiled. It's not unclean. It's not dirty. It's pure, right? And unfading. Again, these words discuss things of permanence. And he's talking to, again, remember, those who are in 1-1, those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, those who are, are feeling like they don't belong. You feel like you don't belong here. That feeling is temporary, right? That is a temporary feeling because the thing that is being kept in heaven for you is permanent. It is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It is something that will never go away. It will be there waiting for you forever. It will always be there waiting for you. So while you feel on this earth that you don't belong, you feel on this earth like things are, they are perishable, right? Things fade, things decay, things get dirty and they get unclean and, and they get corrupted. Our bodies are that way. Just the very essence of our being on earth is that way. So while we're on this earth, we feel like we're exiles, we don't belong. 
We're looking forward to something that's being kept in heaven for us that is permanent, right? Is not going to be destroyed or altered or changed or, or corrupted in any way. Uh, we look in verse uh, 5. Who by God's power, right now, the who there, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, who by God's power be, are being guarded. He's talking about the people that he has caused to be born again, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This guarded through faith, we're guarded by God's power through faith. Again, you're thinking about this temporary existence, the temporary nature of earthly suffering, What's being guarded? Well, it's not necessarily our bodies. Our bodies are not being guarded because my body might break and it might get d diseased and it might get cancer and it might I might break my leg or I might lose an arm or any number of horrible, terrible things that might happen to my body. So it's not the body that's being guarded, right? It's the part of us that's been born again. That's what's being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. And of course, we have to wait for it. It's going to be revealed at the last time. It's not been revealed yet, but it will be revealed. We can keep reading in 1 Peter. Uh, we read 6 through 9, 1 Peter 3, 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. And again, notice the temporary language. He's contrasting the thing that God's prepared for us that is permanent, that is enduring, everlasting, and the thing that we have now, which is temporary and, and, and a, a, as Solomon would say, uh, all things are a vapor and strive. It's vanity, a vapor striving after the wind. It is something so temporary, right? In this you rejoice, though, now for a little while, if necessary. It's not necessary all the time, right? There are times when things are okay on earth. There are times when Maybe we feel like things are going pretty well in our life, but there are some times when it might be necessary for us to be tested. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have... Actually, let's pause there for a minute. These are, again, words that are supposed to be comforting, right? In this you rejoice. What is it that we're rejoicing? Not necessarily in the trials, although James says to do that. Peter's saying what? In what you rejoice? In the fact that you've been born again, in the fact that you have inheritance that is imperishable, in the fact that you're, you are being guarded through faith, that's what you rejoice in even though a little for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. We read that text in Revelation in, on the sermon on Sunday, uh, the text that says, don't, don't, don't fear what you're about to suffer. You're going to be thrown in prison and you're going to be you're going to have trials for 10 days, right? This idea of a temporary time period, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That word grieved is an interesting word uh, to be, to be heavy in your sorrow, heavy in your sadness. Uh, that To be in heaviness is an interesting possible translation of this word. The things that happen to us are heavy, right? Tom says we are sojourners. And, and part of that traveling is difficult, right? I think about the 
this is sort of an undercurrent in all this. The Israelites who had to wander in the wilderness, well, that wasn't easy, right? The, the, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and that ended up causing most of them to die. Now, of course, that was a punishment. It's not a punishment for us, but I am reminded of Israel, who for a little while, a temporary time in their history, they had to wander around until they would be brought into the rest that God had promised to them. Now, it's not the analogy is not exact, right? Because we're not being punished necessarily in our wandering and our trials. We're being uh, tested, the tested genuineness of our faith. Because if everything was easy, our faith would not be proven. Now, we might still have real faith if everything's easy, but it is through the trials that we are assured of it. Now, of course, we know... There's a couple of interesting things about this verse. It's not like God needs us to be tested because he knows all things. He knows your faith. He knows the value of your faith. He knows the quality of your faith because he is omniscient. He knows all stuff. So this tested genuineness of our faith, in, in some ways that has to be for us, right? That we will know that it's genuine or that the world will know that it's genuine. And again, as he's going to go through in, in the later uh, chapters here, starting in chapter two, really, chapter two, all the way through chapter four, he's going to have this, this undercurrent of our dealings with the lost. This tested genuineness in some ways must be reflected to the world. They see our suffering. They see our sojourning. They see that we don't belong here. And they think, oh man, that person has real, genuine, precious, valuable faith, right? Uh, we can keep reading in First Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, we know what faith is, right? Things that we, uh, the Hebrew, Hebrew writer says what? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. So what? We do not see him. We, do, we have not seen him. Uh, it's interesting how he has this, this the, the clauses or the tenses mixed here, right? Though you have not seen him in the past and you do not now see him, right? And, and that applies to everyone alive today. Uh, there actually might have been some readers of Peter who had seen Jesus. Uh, it would have been an odd situation because, again, they're not living in Jerusalem. They're living in these other places. But it is it is theoretically possible that some of his readers in the original audience had seen Jesus. And so he has these two contexts, right? You have not seen him and you do not now see him because he's gone. For them, he ascended a long time ago, right? 30 years ago. For us, it's 100% the case. We have neither seen nor now see we never have seen Jesus. And you know, what does he say here, right? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. We love and believe in him, even though we don't see him. That is the essence of faith, isn't it? Going back to verse 5 there. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Faith in what? Well, he explains that. Faith in Christ. Even though we haven't seen him, we love him. Even though we do not see him, we believe in him. That's the faith that we're talking about here, right? That's the thing that is that allows us to be guarded by God's power until the last, that it'll be revealed in the last time, verse 5. Ultimately, the book of 
First Peter, for Peter's first epistle here, as he sets the case for what he is going to discuss, this is really the, the core, the meat of the introduction to the letter, he's setting up the themes that he's going to go through, right? He's setting up all of the different kinds of themes. You don't belong here. You belong in heaven. You're waiting for that inheritance that's going to be in heaven. While you're here, you're going to suffer for a little while. You're going to be grieved by various trials, but that's okay. That There's a out, positive outcome of that, the tested genuineness of your faith, not just for God's benefit, but for your benefit, for the benefit of the lost, to those who you are around. And ultimately, this is pointing to Jesus, right? We're pointing toward the revelation of Jesus. We're pointing toward the faith in Jesus. We're thinking about how our lives reflect Jesus. Ultimately, what? You believe in him, verse 8, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a glorious thing to undergo these various trials, to be in a place that we don't belong to look forward to and believe in and trust in and love a Jesus that we do not see. It is glorious. It leads to this glorious joy. I, I really hope that you're feeling that joy. Even now, you're stuck in your home. Maybe you haven't been out for a while. Maybe you haven't seen another Christian in days. You've seen me, I guess. Maybe in person, though, you haven't seen another Christian in days. You still should and could have that inexpressible joy. You can. Because it doesn't require sight. Just like maybe we have not seen Jesus and do not see Jesus, see Jesus, we still love and believe in him. Even if you haven't seen or have seen your fellow Christians, we still have fellowship with them. We're still united with him. This various trial, one of these trials right now is separation, isolation, loneliness. These are absolutely various trials part of it this can result in the tested genuineness of our faith if we continue to maintain unity continue to maintain fellowship continue to love and trust in god and his church even at this time it can be a part of what he's describing uh, to his audience in so long ago and one of the things that i'm always amazed by because of course god is omniscient. He knows what to say. I'm always amazed when I read the scriptures how much I am unified, not only with other Christians today, but who Christians who lived back then, who were maybe experiencing some of the th same things we are experiencing. Again, not exactly the same. They didn't have a plague necessarily. But he, when he says to them that you are the elect exiles, that you are sojourners, you're not where you belong. Man, I feel like that in my house. I, I should be with fellow Christians, right? I should be worshiping with my fellow Christians and and having unity and, and loving and, and having this presence with my, ooh, excuse me, having this presence with my fellow Christians. And you know what? I just feel like it's not right that I'm stuck here, but I can still have that joy. Let's pray. God, we come before you now and we ask that you give us that joy inexpressible, we ask that you give us the love of Jesus, even though we do not see him, the belief in him, though we do not see him. And as we are separated from our fellow Christians and we do not see them, we ask that you give us unity and fellowship and love for one another. Those who we do not see, not only in our city, in our town, but throughout the world. I ask that you be with those who are fighting so hard 
against this virus, the healthcare workers and those who are continuing to work to support our nation's infrastructure and to continue to keep life going, give them strength, give them peace, give them wisdom. Help us to have faith firm in the knowledge that this is a trial that will only last a little while. This is not what it will be like forever. We're thankful for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.